Good morning. Great to see you guys this morning, and thank you for those of you who are joining us online. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning as we continue in our Live Sent series. <clears throat> We're going to be in Matthew 13 this morning, uh, so you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like, whether in your Bible or on your app. Um, and it's a familiar story for many of us. Maybe uh, there are a few of us that may not be as familiar, uh, but it's the parable of the sower. And uh, as we dive in, um, it got me thinking just about this idea of farming. Uh, and in Jesus' time, as he's telling this parable, uh, it was very familiar and common at that time for people to, be, to know a lot about farming. I do not know a lot about farming. My extent is the vegetable garden in our backyard. Uh, and right now, uh, with winter having come or still here or whatever we're doing in this season, um, it's a hot mess. But we are looking forward to the spring and the summer when the girls get to plant uh, things in the garden. We typically do things like green beans. Uh, girls love green beans. Okra, not my favorite, more of Dana's. Uh, a couple years we did corn. That was pretty awesome, except you have to do several rows of corn in order for that to work. And we probably, I don't know, had three or four rows, 20 stalks or something to that nature, and maybe got 10, 12 ears of corn that were edible. Uh, but hey, it's Florida. We were excited. It was something different. Uh, the girls love watermelon planting the seed and then watching the vines grow and the blooms, and then they turn into the watermelons, and they seem to like grow and double in size uh, overnight. Uh, but my favorite are tomatoes. We do the large tomatoes that you can slice up and do tomato sandwiches in the summer. We do the grape tomatoes to throw in the salad and even Roma tomatoes. Um, I love those. Uh, but you see, every year we plant uh, the what we produce seems to be different, right? And there's a lot of different factors that play into that. Uh, the weather is a huge factor, the condition of the soil, uh, the amount of water or lack of water that it receives, um, and then even taking care of the plants, right? And even the weeds in the garden and making sure those are pulled and not taking away the nutrients uh, from those vegetables. We also, you think we're like super green thumb, we're not at all, but we also have two blueberry bushes in the corner of our backyard behind the girls' playground, and then we have a peach tree that was given to us for watching uh, a neighbor's dog. Uh, but it was pretty awesome. We were excited about it. It was about four feet tall. We put it in the ground, uh, a couple limbs, leaves, nothing the first year, and then the next year, we started having blooms around Easter time, and those blooms turned into little peaches, you could take a little bite and it was sort of taste, tasted like a peach, but over the next couple of years, it continued to produce. And then I think we had a really bad cold snap about four or five years ago. And the next spring, the peach tree, like one limb was dead, one, half, one limb was half dead, and we had one good limb. So I trimmed out the dead and it wasn't a good year for the peach tree. Um, and then the next couple of years, like I just kept trimming. And so then there was literally nothing except just the... Um, the trunk of the tree. And so I cut it all the way down. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give it one more year. And Dan's like, just get rid of it. It's dead. And I was like, no, no, no. Like the, I want peaches. I want peaches. And so uh, in March this past year during um, quarantine or whatever we call that time, I told Dan, I was like, okay, it's not coming back. It's, it's hopeless. Like I'll go dig it up. So I went and got the shovel. And I go to the backyard and I put the shovel in the ground and I see something. There is about three inches of green 
with leaves. And I was like, no way. Like, this is just a weed growing up by the peach tree. So I, I take the dirt, start moving it away. And lo and behold, that little green stem with the green leaves was coming from the trunk of the peach tree. So it's still alive. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that peach tree. <laughs> I'm not sure. It, even if it does survive, it still has many, many, many years to get even back to where it was at four feet. Um, so the next homeowners in 20, 30 years will love it. Um, but why all the excitement? Why all the excitement for me and for the girls, maybe not so much Dana, uh, but for this peach tree? And the reality is, is there's excitement because peach trees produce peaches, right? I'm a Georgia boy. I love peaches, but I more so love them in peach cobbler, peach ice cream, and then always Chick-fil-A's peach milkshakes. Uh, but you see, making peaches is what peach trees were created for. And so as we look this morning and we continue in our series, Live Sent, and we look at the mission that God has placed us and given us to go and to tell other people about Jesus, uh, we realize that God created us for this mission that he's given us. Not only has he created us for it, but he's empowered us and enabled us through his spirit to be able to accomplish and to do what it is he's asked us to do. And so last week's sermon, Pastor James gave us the question of, will we obey God? And at the end, he quoted Jason Dukes in this question, said, how is our life oriented around the mission of God? How is my life? How is your life? How is the life of our church, the things that we do? How is all of that oriented and focused on living out God's mission? And this morning, if you, I encourage you, uh, hopefully you're going to stay and attend life group after this service. There are a lot of great life groups. If you're not connected to one, I encourage you to go to our welcome desk. Uh, we would love to connect you with one. Uh, but this morning uh, in Life Group, you'll be looking at Acts chapter 2. Don't worry, Life Group leaders, I'm not going to give away your whole lesson this morning. Uh, but uh, this really uh, shows us this idea of our lives being oriented around God's mission because in Acts 2, 42 through 47, the disciples in the early church are gathering together, and they, you'll be talking this morning about the four key things that they do, about be, being devoted to the apostles' teaching fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, praying together, all these things. But as I was looking at that and as I was preparing for this morning, the big question that came to me is, is why? Why did the early church do that? Why do we, as today's church, why do we gather together? Why do we do these things? And the answer is actually uh, on the bookends of this passage. If you look at verse 41, Acts 2.41 and Acts 2.47, Take a look at those verses, and they're almost identical in what they say. Verse 41 says, After Peter preached to the crowds, 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. And then you get a snapshot of what the early church is doing, what the believers do as they gather together. And verse 47 ends and says, The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, followers of Jesus in the early church, their lives were oriented around the mission of God to go and make disciples. That's why they gathered. That's why we gather. We come together, we study the scriptures, we fellowship, we have accountability, we're challenged and equipped to go into the world and to share the gospel with those who do not know Jesus. 
And so as we open up and we begin in this parable, a parable, uh, that word actually means to come alongside of. And so Jesus is taking an everyday experience that the people were familiar with and bringing it alongside of a biblical truth that he wants them to understand. And so this morning, as we look at this, he is sharing his experience and he wants us to understand a biblical truth. And one of the key biblical truths he wants us to understand that he shares in every one of his parables is for us to have a better understanding and a better glimpse into the kingdom of God. And so he, as he tells us, he's exposing the crowd's heart condition and ask, leading us to ask ourselves are we being faithful to God, to his kingdom, and to his mission? You see, making disciples is what disciples were created for. So this morning as we go through this passage, I want us to be asking ourselves, Lord, am I faithful to you? But before we begin, we begin let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time and guys, we just declared through song your holiness and your worthiness, Father. No one else compares. No one else is worthy. And Father, we invite you into this place, Lord. Your presence is here. And God, we not only invite your presence, but we invite your power that you would work in us, that you would transform us, that we would look more and more like Jesus. I pray that you and because of your faithfulness, would produce faithfulness within us and fruitfulness as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you will join me in chapter 13, we're gonna read uh, the first nine verses. Matthew writes, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." And so you see farmers at this time, they planted seeds one of two ways. I can't imagine having that much land, that much property and being uh, expected and, uh, to grow that much uh, produce. But they would either take the bag of seed and they would disperse it by hand and scatter as they went across their field. Or if they had a donkey or some kind of animal, they would strap those bags to either side and they would put a slit in the bottom of the bag. And as that donkey walked the entire property, seed would fall along wherever it went. But the interesting thing is I can only imagine being part of this crowd and hearing the story. They had heard of Jesus' miracles. They had heard of his teachings. They come and they gather around him and Jesus starts talking about farming. I'm like, what? Like, what's going on? And then he ends it with, uh, he who has ears, let him hear. What in the world? Uh, but the interesting thing is, as we continue in verse 10, we see that it intrigues the disciples and they go to him and they ask, let's pick up there. Matthew writes, Within the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And this people's hearts has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Uh, so we see the disciples come, and they ask Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? And so there's a lot here, and he explains to them why he is. Um, and so I just want to focus in on three different things. Again, there's a, a ton in this text uh, but I want to see that Jesus here is explaining to them the reasons why he teaches using parables. And the first thing we see from this text is that Jesus teaches par parables to prompt personal examination. As Jesus is teaching this parable, he is wanting the, those in the crowd to respond and to examine their own hearts and lives. And that really should be for us at any time we bring ourselves before God's word that we would allow him to examine our hearts. Not only should we examine our hearts because no one knows our hearts better than we do, obviously God as well, even more than we understand it ourselves. So we need to examine our hearts and we need to examine it against the truth and promises of God's word and his commands. And we need to invite God who knows our hearts better than we do to examine us and to show us anything in our hearts that is not pleasing to him. Any area of sin or disobedience that is keeping us from living out his mission. And so here we see that the crowd is being challenged to assess the condition of their heart. And here in verse uh, 14, um, he brings up this quote from Isaiah 6. We were just there a couple weeks ago with Pastor James. And remember that Isaiah was caught up in a vision and he saw the Lord in his glory and his splendor. And he realizes and notice, realizes and sees his own sin and the sin of his people. And he is broken, and he confesses and repents of that sin and says that the Lord forgave him and cleansed him, and God sent him out to tell the people of Israel, even though we know that Israel at that time had hard hearts. And so Isaiah's mission to tell the gener this generation, uh, basically, hey, you're not listening to God. You need to, but you don't want to. You see, they didn't understand what God was saying. They didn't understand the message that Isaiah was proclaiming because they had no desire to want to know what God was saying to them. And now Jesus is in this very same situation. He's talking to the crowds, and some would not understand. Even though they were there and hearing, this entire crowd, every, uh, people would respond differently based on their willingness to hear and their desire to know the things of God. We see it throughout Matthew's gospel. We see it that everywhere Jesus goes, when he goes, that he faces opposition. When he goes, every time uh, he speaks and he teaches, people would question him. And so as Jesus speaks, he speaks in a way that those who desire to hear, they would hear and understand about the kingdom of God and those who did not care about the things of God, that they would not. But not only does Jesus teach so we would examine our own hearts, but he also teaches in parables to extend an invitation we must never forget that, that every time God's word is spoken, there's an invitation of God inviting us to be in relationship with him, but not just to be in relationship with him, but to join him in his mission of advancing his kingdom. 
that we have an opportunity to make a decision about whether or not we would join in on the kingdom work of God. You see, as long as we're alive, there's an opportunity for everyone. As long as someone is alive, there's an opportunity for them to repent and to believe in Jesus. Just as uh, when Isaiah was going, even though their hearts had grown dull, God's desire was for them to repent and to turn to him and that he would heal them. So Jesus extends an invitation, but we also know the reason he extends an invitation because he wants us to experience life transformation. He wants us to rely on him so that he can produce life transformation within our hearts. Isaiah takes God's words to the people, but they're unable to hear. They've traded God's glory for the glory of themselves. What they were seeking for, they completely missed because they weren't willing to look for it in the God who created them. And 700 years later, Jesus shows up speaking the same message that God had sent out his word into the world and that his mission would be accomplished You see, Jesus' parables, they held authority themselves because the one speaking the parables was God himself. These weren't just stories with good moral application or a great life lesson, uh, but they were seeds of God's word and he was sowing them and planting them so that it would produce fruit, that it would produce a transformed life that revolved around the mission of God. But let's continue and see what this parable means because the parable is pretty simple on the surface. Um, The sower went out to sow, but the parables ask why. Um, And Jesus not only answers the why, but he also gives an explanation to what the parable means. And sometimes people can look at parables and they can uh, look at them and start to explain and maybe even go too far in their interpretation um, or even go the allegorical route and everything means something. Uh, But we have the, the great... Uh, privilege of having Jesus explain what, which each part means and what it identifies. So let's look and see what Jesus says as he explains this. He begins in verse 18 and says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world. Choke the word. It should choke the world. Uh, And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so Jesus begins, he answers the question, he comes back to the question and explains what it means. And he starts with listen. And not just like, hey guys, I hope you listen, you know, it'd be great if you want to listen a little bit more, but like, listen, like you've come and you've asked me, and so listen to what I have to say, because there is more to this story than just about a farmer and how to produce a good crop, right? He begins to bring this story alongside of his kingdom purposes of what the kingdom of God looks like, and he says, I need you to pay attention. It's just like parents in the room or grandparents, I mean, kids, students, you even know this, like when someone says, listen, a teacher or an adult, Like, they want your full attention, right? Not just like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I know you're saying something, you know, uh, Charlie Brown's teacher or whatever. But 
to actually know what's being said and to take it to heart. And so when God speaks, we should listen. So we see that this huge crowd came down to disciples and maybe some others and they come to Jesus and, and they're listening. They're, they're leaning in. They're wanting to hear more of what Jesus is trying to teach them of what this means and why he's teaching it. They're, they desire the things of God and they want to know more and they want to learn more. And we see and we're reminded that how we listen to God, that it really matters. You see, Jesus knew that everyone at that beach wasn't going to listen. They were there. They were hearing. They were all hearing the same thing, but they were all going to respond to it differently. And so uh, for some, the hearing wasn't as, you know, some, they were just there in one ear and out the other. For some, it wasn't as dull. They were, they were hearing it. They were excited. They were joyful, but it really wasn't going to take much root in their lives. And for some, uh, they, they heard it. They received it. It fell on good soil, right? And so whenever the gospel is preached, whenever God's word is taught, something always happens. Whenever you or I hear the word, we always respond to it. There's always a response. And Jesus here shows us four different responses that our hearts may have towards God's word when we hear it. And so I just wanna share those with you. We're gonna go a little bit deeper into them, but the heart conditions that Jesus mentions here are the heart, the hard and dry heart, the shallow and rocky heart, the crowded and divided heart, and the expectant and receptive heart. You see, you look at verse 19. Uh, we see that the, the seed comes and the evil one snatches it away. Uh, so far in the gospel, we've seen that the Pharisees have this kind of heart, right? They really don't care uh, about the th teaching of Jesus. They don't accept that Jesus is God, God's son. They oppose him. Every time Jesus speaks, that seems the angrier they get, the harder their hearts become. And so what happens to a heart that is hard and dry? You see, before, Jesus says that before the seed can sink in, before it can take root, that the enemy comes and snatches it away. You see, not only does the enemy desire to take away God's word, but sometimes he even uses us to be distracted where oftentimes we don't, he doesn't even have to snatch it away. We're so distracted and so not focused on God and the things of the kingdom that we don't even notice. He is really good. Satan is really good at distracting us from the things of God. Maybe it's us just kind of justifying our actions or our attitudes instead of being broken and repentant for something that God has convicted us of. Maybe even right now, you'd rather be checking your phone to see if someone's texting you or see what's going on on Facebook or social media. Or maybe you just need to make your grocery list or maybe you're just trying to check out for a little bit. You're here, but man, it's been a rough week. Uh, maybe you'd rather just engage in social media and talk to different people there than to actually engage with God, our creator, and have commun communion and communication with, with him through prayer. Maybe after a long day, you'd rather just sit on the couch and veg out and watch Netflix then spend time with the Lord. Where do all these desires come? Where does all this tension and where's all this distraction come from? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 uh, that we are to be sober-minded. Minded. We are to be watchful that the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour and destroy someone to devour and destroy. Satan is always there. And the last thing he wants is for the seed of God's word to take root in our lives for us to examine our hearts, for us to confess and to surrender our lives to him, to accept his invitation to join him in relationship and to join him on mission and to allow him to transform our lives. 
the enemy doesn't want that. And so this heart is the scariest of all because it is closed to Jesus. It's not able to hear from him because it's not interested in the things of God. Then we come to the shallow and rocky heart. Look at verse 20. We see this kind of heart in the crowds that follow Jesus. They love him for the miracles he performs, the healings that he does, all the great things to celebrate, but then they're not interested in his exclusive claims and his commands that are difficult to follow. When following Jesus gets inconvenient or when it becomes discouraging or hard or uncomfortable or risky, these people leave. They didn't sign up for hardship, for persecution, for difficulty. You see, with a shallow heart, people see Jesus as someone who's encouraging and supportive and a cheerleader even, which he is those things. But we can't separate that from the fact that Jesus will also step on toes. He also calls us to full surrender of our lives. He also asks us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and to follow him. You see, with this kind of heart, things can be great for a while. We can be excited and joyful about following Jesus. But the sad part is that in this state, with this kind of heart, that we never really consider God's word, we never meditate upon it, we never dive deeper into the depths of God's word, we never truly think through his word and what it means for us to live in obedience to him. And so in that shallow soil, the seed takes root, but then the hot sun, it burns it, scorches it, and it dies. Then we have the crowded and divided heart. Look at verse 22. Uh, this is probably one of the first, uh, this is probably one of the more pertinent and applicable uh, hearts highlights today. I think the soil fits our context and fits our culture. Um, you see, the crowded and divided heart has way too many things uh, buying for attention and for affection. Uh, we want to try to maintain our comfort and our security. We want to try to have this certain social status. We may even want have some personal desires and goals that we want to achieve. But Jesus wants us solely focused on him and his kingdom. Uh, and so you see the divided heart has too many competing things vying for our love and our attention. I love what Ray Ortland uh, says. He gives us illustrations. So I'm just going to share it about our hearts being a boardroom. And he says, big table, picture this, big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottle water, whiteboard, a committee sitting around the table. There's a social self, a private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, the childhood memory self, and the list goes on, right? Uh, the committee is arguing and debating and voting. They are agitated. They're divided. They're upset. Rarely can the committee within come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. One way we might falsely accept Jesus is just to invite him into our committee. Give Jesus a seat at the table. Give him a vote also. Let him make his case, and then the rest of us will decide if we're for or against. But if this is how we accept Jesus, then he is just one influence among others, easily offset by the other voices which yell and demand and even threaten. You see, here's what we need. We don't need a committee of all these different board members. We need to go in and we need to fire every board member because Jesus is the only one that has a seat at our table to determine what it is we do with our lives and who it is we were created to be. 
And so Jesus wants to be the only authority in our lives. He wants us to place his word, the authority of his words and the commands in his scripture above everything, that he would be Lord, not of part of our life or parts of our life or the ones that are easy to manage or the ones that are sort of comfortable, but even the things that are difficult for us uh, to trust Jesus with. It means that we hand over every part of our life to him, and this leads us to the last soil, the expectant and the receptive heart. Look at verse 22. We see that this kind of heart accepts God's word. It leans in and desires to know more of God, even when it's difficult to. Even when it's hard to understand, this heart sticks with Jesus This heart wants more and more of Jesus. We see this kind of heart in the disciples as they gather closer and they want to know more. They hunger and they thirst for his word. They just want Jesus and they want to be faithful to him. You see, the expectant and receptive heart is the heart and should be the heart of every Christian, of everyone who claims to follow Jesus It's the heart that's accepted Jesus, but also the heart that obeys God's word. And we see at the the end that the heart that is expectant and receptive, that it bears much fruit. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time this morning just looking at what God calls us to, because God calls his people to a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness. He calls us to this. And in the story of Matthew, we see this best in the disciples. They're a mess. They're sinners. They're insecure. Uh, They're seeking Jesus. Uh, They don't just hear the parable and be like, okay, well, great, nice story. What's what's the next one? Uh, But they're interested in seeking him out. They, They lean in and they want to know more about Jesus. They are the fertile soil. And remember that Jesus tells this parable because he wants us to examine our hearts And so I want us to examine our hearts this morning on what our heart looks like in terms of our faithfulness to God and even in terms of our fruitfulness. You see, faithfulness to God leads to fruitfulness. John 15, 8, Jesus says, but this is by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. These next few things we go through are just things that we see throughout scripture, things that came to my heart and the Lord challenged me personally with of, If my life is truly faithful to the one who is faithful above everyone, if I desire to respond to him in faithfulness and for his word to take root in my life, that I would be fruitful for him and for his kingdom, what are those things? How do I measure that? What are the things the Lord's looking for in a heart that's receptive and expectant to him? And the first thing we see is that it means we have total surrender. Every part, every aspect of our life is totally surrendered to God, that we trust him with everything, even when we don't understand that we would desire God's word more and more. I like to eat. I like to eat a lot, but I'm limiting that. I'm trying to be disciplined in that. Uh, But I wonder if uh, we had that same desire, that same craving for God's word where we would wake up in the morning and be like, I just gotta spend time with Lord. I can't go on in my day without spending time with him, hearing from him, being encouraged by him, being challenged by him, being prepared for my day. I need Jesus. And Jesus, whatever it is you speak to me, whatever it is you reveal to me, I'm I'm expecting you to speak. I'm ready for you to speak, but I'm also ready for you to obey because you're not just gonna teach me something and then not expect me to live it out and not expect me to do it, to apply it. 
He wants us to have teachable and obedient hearts. We can come to God's word and be like, oh yeah, great, uh, parable of the sower, heard that, heard that last year, heard that back when I was in elementary school, heard that when I was at VBS, I know how it goes, great. But that we would come before the Lord and we, we would say, Lord, you reveal yourself to us through your word. You desire a relationship with us. And so make this scripture, make this passage fresh in my life. What it is that you want me to see in my own heart, examine my life. Is my life truly faithful to you? Is my life truly bearing fruit for your kingdom that your kingdom would advance because of my obedience to you? Because I'm allowing your word to take root and for you to work in me and through me. You see, the only way for God's word to take root in our lives, we can't do that by being hearers of it, but we must do it by obeying it. We have to have spiritual disciplines in our life. We have to tend to the condition of our hearts. We have to be disciplined in growing in the Lord. I love that we have life groups. I love that we do community and we do life together. We study the scriptures together, right? We have fellowship and care for one another. We have accountability, transparency, and that can't just function within the life group. Some of your life groups are 25, 35 people. And I challenge you men to have a small group of men to meet with. I challenge you women to have a small group of women to meet with that you can be transparent and real with, that they hold you accountable to in your walk with the Lord and living out in obedience to him, whether it's through daily time in the word or maybe you need to grow in your, your prayer life or maybe you're struggling with giving, whatever it is that you would have other people to walk alongside of you, to sharpen you and to encourage you and that you would be invested into that as well. Biblical community, the same idea, cultivating relationships that challenge us to grow. The only way you're going to be challenged to grow is if you're willing to tell someone areas that you're not growing in. And that's hard. You see, uh, I'm starting to run again. No, you can't tell because starting. Uh, but I do know that when I don't tell people that I'm trying to run, I'm trying to get to a certain mileage, I'm trying to run this consistently X number of days a week, I'm trying to get down to this time, that if I don't tell someone, if I don't tell some people, then when I'm tired and I get home, you know, I'll just run tomorrow, right? And there's no push because no one knows I'm really trying to run or no one really knows I'm trying to get my time down, you know? Like, there's no accountability because I haven't told anybody, Accountability is only as good as we're willing to be transparent and honest about it. Transparency and honesty are required for accountability. And so we need biblical community to walk alongside of us, to challenge us to grow, that love us enough to be like, hey, I see this in your life and we need, we need to, to work on this together. We also see this idea of being sacrificial and selfless, doing whatever it takes for the kingdom. Our mission statement as a church is to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family, and to become who he created us to be, that we would impact the world for Jesus. And so doing whatever it takes requires sacrifice. It means that we're going to do things that aren't comfortable. It means that we're going to do things that we haven't done before. It means that we may not do things the way we've always done them. And I'm not talking about just at the church level. I'm talking about the personal level. That Jesus may ask you to do something, it may require you to get out of your comfort zone and not to be uh, complacent, and it will cause you sacrifice. And it requires us to be selfless with our resources and with our talents, realizing that the life that God has given us is not our own, but it belongs to him. And here's the last one. This is one where I've really been challenged because you see these, 
These first four or five, yeah, okay, I need to be faithful, I need to be fruitful in these areas. I've heard these before. Uh, but here's the reality is that Jesus ties this in. <clears throat> he ties this in at the very end of intentional evangelism. Part of us being faithful, part of us bearing fruit is that we have an, our life is revolved around evangelism. Not part of it, not some of it, not when it's easy, not when it's convenient, but that our heart and our burden would be for the lost, that we would sow seeds of the gospel wherever we go. You see, that's part of the invitation, that we would have a relationship with God, but then that we would join him in sowing seeds of the gospel. You see, the sower wasn't, uh, wasn't concerned about the condition of the soil. He spread seed wherever we go, and I think sometimes we start evaluating uh, situations or even people and we're like, oh, well, you know, maybe now's not the right time to share the gospel. Or, oh, they would, you know, they might not want to engage in conversation with me or whatever the case is. But you see, our role is to join the sower and sowing the seeds and God is the one who makes the seed grow, right? And so we see this challenge that we must be intentional in evangelism, that if we are gonna be faithful, we're not just faithful in some of these areas, but we're called to be faithful in all of these areas, that God has called us to join him in the mission of sharing the gospel, that our lives should be oriented around his mission, and that wherever we go with the people we meet, we have opportunities to share the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives and what he offers them as well. I recently heard a quote from the founder of the Navigator's Ministry. His name's Dawson Trotman. He said, you have not made a disciple until they have made a disciple. Wow. You have not made a disciple until they have made a disciple. And so as we look at this question of, Lord, am I being faithful God, am I being faithful? God, is our life group being faithful? God, is our, our church being faithful? Are we living our lives oriented around your mission? Are we being faithful to share the gospel? Have you so radically changed our lives that we can't help but speak and share about the things that you're doing in us and through us, that we're burdened for the lost and we care about people that they would know Jesus, And when they come to know Jesus, that we would be willing to sacrifice and to walk alongside of them and to celebrate as they begin a relationship with Jesus and grow in him, that they too then take the gospel and go share it with those that they know that we may not know or that we may not have influence over. And so how do we cultivate this good soil in our heart? How do we have good soil in our heart that we would be fruitful, that we would be faithful? And we're reminded of this invitation that God invites us into this relationship with him. He invites us to join him in sowing. And so do we get this good soil by just being a good person? Do, is there a certain standard we have to live up to? Do we have to remove so many rocks so our soil's better? Do we have to pull so many weeds? Um, but you see, all this won't work. We'll never be good enough. We can never move, remove enough rocks. We can never pull enough weeds. There's gotta be another way. And so whether we follow Jesus for many, many years or we've never accepted Jesus, the reality is that we all are in the same boat. That the surest way, the, the proven way to have good soil, to have a heart that's desiring things of God is to ask Jesus for a new heart. We give him our heart that scripture says is dead, that's not alive and we give it and offer all of it to him and he gives us a new heart, a heart that desires him, a heart that desires to grow and to know him. 
And so he extends this invitation and he wants to see life transformation. You see, all, uh, all four gospels, it's, this parable is mentioned in three of them, all of them except for the gospel of John. But the truth that's presented from this parable is very evident in John's gospel. And we're in John chapter 12, Jesus is going towards Jerusalem and he's, he's talking to the disciples about his death that's about to come. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, John records a very important truth here that Jesus, who is the sower, right? Jesus, who is the sower, also became the seed. And if you think about seeds, kind of a, a weird thing. Okay, Jesus sent Jesus, and he, he's the seed. He's the one that produces and brings life. Like, why, why would Jesus come as a seed? That's not a very strong or powerful thing. Jesus came as a baby in a manger. Like, that's not some powerful uh, government leader. You see, a little seed, most of them you can crush yourself, right? Pretty easily. Some of them you can even tear with your, your own fingers. Seeds can be seen as weak. And I think Satan, when he saw Jesus on this cross, he thought he had defeated the seed, right? But here's what we know is that none of Jesus' bones were crushed. None of them were broken. You see, Jesus wasn't on that cross as a, a smashed seed. He, he was a planted seed. He, he died. He was buried, right? Scripture tells us. But then Scripture tells us that on the third day that he rose again. And we see that, that seed grew, that the power was released because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is where our hope lies. Why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus come as a seed? And I love what Tim Keller says. He points out that if Jesus came as a sword, he would have cut us to pieces. If Jesus had come with fire, he would have burned us to ashes. So Jesus chose to come as a seed to be planted for us. And you see, that's the secret of the kingdom. Our greatest hope is that we have a savior who is a powerful seed that Satan thought he had crushed and defeated, but Jesus conquered death and he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with him and that we could invite and join him in inviting other people to be in a relationship with him that his kingdom would advance. It requires total surrender. It requires that we would have hearts that are teachable and willing to be obedient. It requires that we uh, get our hands and our feet dirty and that we are serious about developing spiritual disciplines and cultivating the soil of our heart. It requires us surrendering our hearts to Jesus and giving him all so we would have his new heart. It means that we're part of biblical community, that we gather together and we do all these things for the purpose that we would be sent out and be equipped to share the gospel with those who do not know Jesus. It means we recognize that it's gonna cost us a lot. It's gonna require that we're selfless and humble and that we're willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. When you see this, when you think about this, when you allow God's word to take root, when you desire for this to be evident in your life, something begins to happen deep inside our hearts. And you see our heart, our hearts, even if they're hearts of stone, even though they're, they're hard and dry, that Jesus can open them. His word has the power 
to work in any heart. And I don't know where your heart is this morning. I don't know how you came in feeling this morning or what your week looked like or even if you're open to even hearing the message or even if you desire the things of God, but God's word is powerful enough that what those who hear God's word, that when it goes into our heart, that his word has the power to break any heart no matter how hard it is. And this morning, he wants us to examine our hearts. He wants us to examine our hearts individually. He wants us to examine us as a church. Are we being faithful to the mission of God? You see, the power of God's word, the power of the seed, the power of Jesus, it has the power, Jesus has the power to transform our lives. You see, the kind of God that we have He's the one who loves us enough to break us. To deal with the things in our heart that are hard, that are closed off to him, and to make our heart desire the things of God. He is the one who died, who gave his life, who sacrificed his life, that we would have life through him. And then most importantly, he is the one who, even though he died on that cross, he's the one who rose again to give us this life that he calls us to and has invited us to join him in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. And God, I just, I pray, Father, that as your word uh, goes forth, Lord, that our hearts will be open and receptive. God, I pray, um, Lord, that we would just desire the things of you, that we would allow you to examine our hearts and God, that can be, be hard. It can be difficult. But God, you do so, so graciously and so mercifully. God, that you desire for your, your word to take root in our lives. I thank you for your invitation for us to join you in relationship. God, that we were separated from you because of our sin. But God, you sent Jesus to make a way and to restore that relationship because of him and his sacrifice and his death and his resurrection. Lord, that you desire life transformation, not because of what we've done, but because of you and your faithfulness. Father, I pray that your word would take root in every heart in this place. Lord, I pray that we would be people marked by surrender, people marked by obedience, that we would be marked uh, by your call and your mission to go and to share the gospel. Lord, may we, not, may we not overlook that aspect of what it means to be faithful and fruitful. May we not overlook that as individuals. May we not overlook that as life groups. May we not overlook that as a church. But God, you working in us, it produces a desire for us to make sure other people know you. Father, I thank you for this time and I pray that your Holy Spirit will just continue to work in my heart and the hearts of us as your people. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.